I'll say whatever as long as I don't have to say that stuff about submitting to him. Because I'm not saying that. And I was like, okay. <laughs> You're still going to pay me the money though, right? now." <laughs> so I, I figured out what her hot button was pretty quickly, right? Um, and biblical marriage, I think, is probably... Uh, you know, more under attack than at any other time in America's 200 plus year history, especially uh, being able to come to some consensus with some people on defining the roles of a husband and a wife in marriage. Those lines have become extremely blurry. And for some, for good reason, for so long in our country, uh, females were kind of looked down and it really kind of had second class status in America. They couldn't vote. For a long time, the long time they were limited in their educational opportunities and their career opportunities, of earning a fair wage or an equal wage to a man, all of those things. And so the natural result of that kind of oppression for a long time was, was a backlash to that. And so then in the 70s, you had the feminist movement. And while you know, some, there was definitely some advances that were happening during that time and in the preceding decades after that of women just getting more opportunity, gaining more strength and power in the marketplace and in politics and all that stuff, there was also uh, the landscape of a marriage began to have a massive makeover as well. So those two things kind of coincided. And starting in the 1970s, you see this dramatic increase in divorces in America. Uh, You see a dramatic increase in the number then of of single-parent homes, of latchkey kids, and all of the the issues that come up. Uh, And then you've got the rise of the strongly independent woman. Those of you that were around in the 70s might remember this commercial. And it went to a little song, I can bring home the bacon and fry it up in a pan, right? You might remember that commercial. Okay, that was like the mantra of the 70s woman. She could bring home the bacon and fry it up in a pan, right? My wife and I both grew up in homes with really strongly independent women. Um, both her mom and my mom were, were intelligent, um, you know, went to, to got a career, um, had some success there, um, were able to provide for, you know, their, I think their idea was I'm going to be able to provide for my kids and take care of our family regardless of what our fathers or stepfathers did. I'm not going to let any man dictate, you know, how my life is going to go. And so that was kind of the, the home that, uh, that my wife and I both grew up in. And growing up in a home with really strong, independent um, women um, definitely then led to some, it had its advantages, but it also led to some, some just confusing times when it became to getting married. And then you're looking at you know, what biblical marriage looks like and, and understanding what those roles are. And neither one of us grew up in a home where there was a male leadership of any kind. Um, and so for me to understand what that looked like, I really had no clue. And then Kristen really didn't know how to receive any kind of leadership because she'd never seen that really modeled uh, in her you know, parents' marriages um, either. So there were some challenges there, and we were a little lost, and I think sometimes still are a little bit. Um, Compounding our frustration, uh, since we've both become Christians, has been a lack of, of, I think, good biblical teaching on what submission is. And so in a lot of ways, I feel like I've been fighting a battle on two fronts. On one hand, I've been battling the culture, which is very against this whole idea that we would submit to anybody else. 
And then I also feel like I've been battling the church culture, which the way that they present this uh, material can be just not very good. <laughs> and, and they can put their emphasis on a lot of wrong things. So much of the, the frustration for us or the problem centers on a lack of good foundational understanding of what submission means as well as our lack of appreciation for the example that Christ set for us in this very area, which is really what we're going to look at today. So today I want to begin by laying a foundation in which then when we go to what Paul has to say about roles that men and women play in marriage, that we've got some sense of, of a foundation in place that we can build some of those things on top of as we talk about the unique roles of a husband and a wife in marriage. So I want you to open your Bibles again to Ephesians chapter 5. It should be a well-worn uh, page for you. It's page 813 in the Pew Bibles. Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 15 today. Paul says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul is getting ready to plunge into this discourse on marriage. But before he does, he kind of says, hey, wait a minute, guys, there's some, there's some prerequisites for this class that I'm about to teach. And he talks about how we live and what must be present in us in order for us to be able to follow through on God's call for our life and what he's about ready to say about marriage. He says we have to be filled with the Holy Spirit through a relationship with Jesus Christ. What does that mean? That means that we have to be surrendered to his will. At some point in our life, we will have had to have come to God and say, God, I surrender. I'm going to put aside my will and my plans for your will and your plans for my life. We've received his gift of forgiveness and eternal life. We've made a commitment to follow him. We have taken ourselves off the throne of our life, and we've placed God on the throne. We have said to him, and we've tried to grow in the understanding of God, I don't want anything else in this world to satisfy me like you can. I don't want to allow money to satisfy me, relationships to satisfy me, status, education, success, any of that stuff. That's what it means when we've surrendered to God. And this is a huge step and a big assumption that's being made as we get ready to dive into this passage that, that you are there <laughs> Because whatever we're going to read as we move forward about what it means to be husbands and wives in marriage, if you don't have that question settled first, all it's going to be is just your human effort to try to do the best you can, and you're going to fail. Or you're going to fall far short of what God desires for that to look like. It's going to be a much lesser thing that you're settling for, okay? So the first question as we dive in today is this, is are you married to Christ first? Christ describes his relationship as him being the bride, as the church being his bridegroom. 
Are you married to Christ? Have you submitted yourself to his leadership? We're going to talk more on that later. Right after what we just read, verse 21 says this, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So here Paul is talking about all believers and the attitude or spirit we're supposed to have with all of them, that we're supposed to submit to one another. In other words, we get to practice being married by submitting ourselves first to God and then to one another. And the idea here is is if you can't do those two things, the prospects of you being able to do it in marriage are probably pretty bleak. So that's kind of the framework in which he's setting things up here this morning. And what does that life look like to submit ourselves to one another? Here's some, some things that Paul talks about. He says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, and humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So this is what it looks like to submit to one another. To, to clothe ourselves with these qualities, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. This is what it looks like to submit to one another out of reverence or honor or respect for Christ. So what does it mean to submit? Who would venture a guess at a definition of submit? What does that term mean to you? How would you define it? It's a pretty common word in our language. Yes, Steve. Surrender your personal rights. Okay. Anything else? Yes. I would say turn your whole self into that one person. Okay. Yeah, turn your whole self into that one or towards that one person. Yeah. Uh huh. Okay, offering up. Okay, good. Yeah. So it's not just do what I said, woman? That's not what we're looking for here? Some people were like, oh, oh, I was going to say that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, let me tell you what the biblical text, if you translate that word submit, okay, and how it was originally written in the Greek, which Paul wouldn't have written it in, the biblical text would have translated that to be under in rank. To be under in rank. And so a good context for understanding this is probably the military. In the military, rank has to do more with order and authority than it does with value or ability. So just because you are a private in the military doesn't mean that you are any less educated or less intelligent than a general in the military, but you are submitting yourself to the general's authority because of his rank, not necessarily because of him as a person or his character qualities or whether he's smarter than you or not. You're submitting yourself to him. And saying, I'm going to obey and follow you because I am submitting myself under you in rank. And that's a very valuable thing when you, you know, are in battle. 
because you don't really have a lot of time to sit around and discuss who has the better plan or to argue your merits. I went to the better college and I've got a more fancy degree, so I should be making the decisions. You need to have very clear lines of order and authority. And when you don't have those things, when you try to go around that and circumvent that leadership, it's called mutiny. And unfortunately, I think in a lot of marriages in our country, there's a lot of mutiny going on. Again, God calls us to a very high standard, those things we just read, (laughs) a very high standard of how we are supposed to relate and act with each other. But as we've talked about in recent weeks, he also gives us the resources that we need to do it. He doesn't call us to something or a way of life without telling us, this is how you're going to do it. This is what I've provided for you to make that possible. And part of it, he says, is, is you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You need to surrender yourself to me. I will come and live in you, and I will give you the power, the love, the self-discipline to live the life I've called you to. So we have that, but we also have the example that Christ himself set for us. We can read about what that life looks like and, and be encouraged by seeing that as well. Okay, so I want you to turn your Bibles to the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1. It's probably page 1, I don't know. Genesis chapter 1, it talks about God creating the heavens and the earth. And he goes through this long list of all the things that he's created. And then I want you to look at verse 26. Verse 26 says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image. Who is us? What's that? The Trinity, which includes who? God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Okay, so from the very beginning, or it could be his, his pet friend, the stuffed animal, I don't know, right? Hopefully it's not split personality, just weirdness, right? That he's actually talking about the Trinity here. Okay, so from the very beginning, the Bible says that God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit all existed from the very beginning of time, Okay? That's important to hold in place. Now I want you to flip over to John chapter 1, page 736. John chapter 1. Verse 1 says this, In the beginning was the Word. Okay, he's talking about Jesus. And the Word was with God And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. So Jesus has always been. He will always be. He is God. But at an appointed time in history, this relationship of equality between Jesus and God took on a different manifestation. And Jesus submitted himself under the authority of the Father when he became the Son and took on human flesh. And I think it's easy for us to forget what a sacrifice that was for Jesus. How humbling that was for him to submit himself to the Father 
and be born in a cave to two young, poor Jewish people to rely on his mother for his nourishment, to go through puberty, to live under the authority of the Romans, a conquered people he was born into, to be despised and hated by the Jewish religious leaders of his day, to live as a homeless wanderer throughout his ministry, to make himself a servant, to wash the feet of the people that were supposed to be following him, to be beaten and mocked and spit upon by the mouths that he created, to be nailed to a cross by the hands that he formed in his mother's womb. To die a cruel and humiliating death as a criminal abandoned by his friends. That was the cost of submission. Submission. Jesus is our model. He doesn't call us to a life that he wasn't willing to live himself. This is just kind of an interesting verse, Luke 2.51. Then he went down to Nazareth with them. He's talking about Jesus and his parents and was obedient to them. Jesus was about 12. And it, it shows this, it records this scene where he goes down for the Passover feast to Jerusalem with his family. And it's, he's on his way back home. And this verse comes in, they went back to Nazareth with them, and he was obedient to them. Can you imagine being 12, being God, being perfect, knowing everything, and obeying your parents? I mean, I'm pretty sure that Joseph and Mary didn't get it all right. I'm pretty sure that they just didn't say, well, whatever you want to do, Jesus, (laughs) They probably asked him to do some things that may have not been at the top of his list, or he might have been thinking, you guys are idiots. (laughs) But it says that he was obedient to them. Jesus, God, obeyed his parents. Jesus' submission to his earthly father is evident, but also his heavenly father throughout the scriptures. Jesus says, for I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the son of man himself, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own, but I speak just what the father has taught me. Father, this is when he's praying in the garden before he's about ready to die. If you are willing, take this cup from me, you know, make it so that I don't have to be crucified. Yet not my will but yours be done. That's submission. So I want us to think for a minute. I want us to think about all the benefits that have existed because of Jesus' willingness to submit himself to his Father. How has the world benefited? How has each one of us benefited from that decision? Go ahead, throw them out. Lots of things. Okay, 
because he was willing to die, then the Holy Spirit could come to live inside of us. So the disciples, the people that lived in Jesus' time had Jesus with them. We now have Jesus in us. That's a totally different type of intimacy and power. Good. What else? Yeah. Uh, because of that, we know that when someone that we love dies here on earth, that that isn't the last that we'll ever be with them. Okay. Yeah, because Jesus rose again, conquered death. We know that there's an afterlife, a place that he's promised to go before us. And so he's made that way possible by submitting himself to die. Yeah. What else? Yeah. Um, that prayer you just referred to, um, praying to God to pass us that dream that you do what you're doing. Like that's showing us how to pray. Showing us how to pray that um, looking our, our desires up to God, but saying what is your will and God. Okay, yeah, so he modeled for us how to pray. God, not my will, but yours. What else? Yeah. I'm going to have to come back, I'm sorry. Okay, yeah, because Jesus submitted himself and he came to earth in human flesh, we get this concept of grace and forgiveness, which wasn't quite as prevalent in the Old Testament. It seemed a lot more about what you did. You had to sacrifice. You had to do these things. Now you can communicate directly with God and have a relationship with him. Your sins have been forgiven once and for all. You don't have to bring the, the lamb to be slaughtered each every, and every year. The, the way in which... Jesus' life has changed our world is unbelievable. A lot of things that we understand in terms of charity and care for people did not even exist before Jesus and the Christians that came after him. People who were looked down upon in society, the, the handicapped, the, you know, the mentally insane, or, or even just women, period, were just discarded, unimportant. Hospitals, education, everything was born out of followers of Christ. People who were sick and dying in the Roman times were just discarded to die on their own because nobody wanted to catch what they had. The Christians went and cared for them because Jesus submitted himself to the Father. And I can go on and on. I just read a whole book about that whole idea. <laughs> so was it worth it? When we think about all the ways in which Jesus had to humble himself in order to be in submission to the Father, would he say it was worth it? The humiliation, the beatings, the death, was it worth it? Yeah, right? Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, right? Because he knew that the freedom, the life that it was going to bring to everyone who would receive that later. So is it worth it for us to follow Christ? What does it mean to be a follower of Christ? Paul paints this beautiful picture of Christ's submission in Philippians chapter 2. I want you to flip over. Philippians chapter 2 is page 815.
Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes this, starting in verse 1. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross." Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. You see, the way of the Christian faith is a way of paradox. It's a way of these seeming seeming contradictions. When you read the Gospels, Jesus says things like this, the last will be first, the least will be the greatest. If you want to be a leader, go be a servant. If you want to find your life, lose it. If you want to live, die. It's a continual process of one downmanship. So what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Philippians says our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Is it? Probably not. (laughs) None of us are perfect, but do we desire for it to be? Do we desire for it to be? That's where it begins. Are we offended by the calling to be a servant to everyone? To consider everyone better than us? Even when we know we're smarter or wiser or more gifted or more talented, can we submit to another person out of respect for Christ? Because you see, it sounds really great for those words to kind of roll off your tongue, consider others better than yourself. So easy to say, isn't it? But to really live like that, to really believe that, man, that, that smacks right up against our pride. Jesus, who had every right to be proud and arrogant, he was the king of kings, the lord of lords, God himself did what his parents said, washed the feet of the disciple that betrayed him died for me. Nobody. You see, the key principle, before we get ready to to tackle these roles that, that God has for us as husband and wife in marriage, the key principle is this, is that there is a direct correlation between our willingness to submit ourselves to God and our willingness to submit ourselves to someone else, 
another person. And the level at which we embrace our submission to God will be the, the level at which we embrace submitting ourselves to other people. And our resistance of submitting ourselves to God will be mirrored in our resistance to submit ourselves to others. Why am I willing to follow this man who demands so much of me? Who asks that I consistently die to my selfish nature? I'm speaking of myself. Why do I do that? Why am I willing to do that? I do that because I know that God is good. Because he offers me so much. And I believe he wants the best for my life. And he created me. And so then I have this hunch that if he created me, that he knows how I'm going to be most fulfilled in life. How I would be happiest and have the most joy and contentment if I was doing things the way that he designed me to be. And as I read about his life, submission to him and submission to other people appears to be a part of the deal. And so I've got to figure out what that means and what that looks like and figure out how am I going to do that. <laughs> if I believe that God is good and that's what he wants for me, I've got to figure it out out of reverence for him because he was willing to do it. Do you see this pattern? Each week it feels like there's this pattern of expanding and contracting. Every time we start to move out into how we're going to relate to other people around us, there's work to be done inside of us. Work that only we can do. You see, there's a lot of benefits to, to, to a church community. A church community can do a lot of things for us. They can encourage us. They can teach us. They can counsel us. They can inspire us with their stories. They can pray for us. But only each one of us can make the choice of whether we are going to submit ourselves to God's will or not. To have our way or his. Until one day in this beautiful process of transformation, our way is his. It has to begin in solitude every day. In the Gospel of Luke, I've talked about this before, that in each one of the Gospels, there's this hinge moment. They call them the, the hinge verse where the story kind of turns. And, and in, in the Gospel of Luke, it's, it's Luke chapter 9, and Jesus is talking about, to, talking to his disciples, he's saying, guys, now, now the path is changing, and I'm going to Jerusalem, and I'm going to die, and I'm going to suffer and I'm going to be raised again on the third day. And then he says to all of his followers who would come after him, he says, then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. We must deny ourselves and take up our cross daily and follow him. Follow him where? 
follow him on the same destination that he was going, to death. We have to die. And luckily, we live in a country where we're probably not going to have to really die for Jesus like some people are doing in our world. But each one of us has to die to our sinful flesh that wants to do life the way we want to do it, when we want to do it, on our terms. That's the definition of a Christ follower. Not somebody who prayed a prayer, not somebody who was baptized, not somebody who shows up for church or a small group or a retreat. A Christ follower is someone who has submitted themselves under Christ's authority. Period. And then is willing to submit themselves to others as well. So a question I have for you this morning is this. Are we making the process of submission for others easy because of our humility? Am I making it easier for my brothers and sisters in Christ for us to submit to one another because of my humility? If you're a young person in here, a young adult, learn what it means to submit yourself to Christ and his authority, to yield your plans for his Study his life and his willingness to lay aside his right as God and humbled himself so that we might live. If you're still single, allow God to make you into a man or woman who one day somebody will look at you and say, you know, I could, I could follow that guy. I could respect him. Or I could see myself sacrificing for her because I see that they're submitted to God. I see the way they live in submission to other people in their life. It's not going to be a stretch for them to receive my leadership or for me to be able to serve them. And so submission begins with our submission to Christ. And we gain hope by looking at his example and seeing how he submitted himself to the Father. And then we move outward in learning what it means to submit to others out of respect for God. Folks, it's easy to submit yourself to someone that's perfect. It's a whole different thing to submit yourself to other people who are flawed and screwed up like you and I. That's where it truly gets tough. And finally, the general call to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ gets a lot more specific when it comes to marriage. Remember a few weeks ago, we talked about God's covenant promise when he, he uh, brought Noah and everybody out of the flood and he said, I'm going to put my rainbow in the sky. I'm never going to destroy the world again and the people in the world. He made a, a covenant to all people. And then he made it specific by saying, Abraham, I pick you and your people. So his love became specific. If I can't love Abraham and the Jews faithfully, how can I love all the world? How can you submit yourselves to everyone else if you can't submit yourself to the person that you chose to live life with 
how can you then walk out of your home and submit yourselves to others? Or, here's the more disturbing question. If you can more easily submit yourself, if you don't have a problem when you go to work doing what your boss tells you, or at school doing what your teacher tells you or your coach tells you, but then you bristle when you come home at submitting to your spouse in that kind of intense light of marriage with somebody who knows everything about you and calls you on your junk. And if you're like me, I can submit myself to a lot of other people. Then when my wife kind of gets in my grill, I'm like, whoa, hey, easy, Tex, right? This doesn't feel very good. (laughs) What does that say about us? What does that say about our marriage? We're going to learn a lot more about that next week. We're going to specifically dive into Ephesians 5 and kind of tackle that whole passage on Husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. But listen, guys, if we didn't take the time today to get a grasp on Jesus' willingness to submit, that changes the whole context at which we're going to come to that passage next week. If Jesus was willing to do that, I'm going to say that I'm not willing. That's not going to fly. (laughs) Okay? So this is going to be an easy message next week. What we talked about today is the difficult stuff. Have you submitted yourself to God's authority? If you've done that, then you're not going to have a problem submitting yourself to somebody else. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your example and your humility. God, that you were willing to to humble yourself, to be a servant to us, your creation. That's just too much to to handle and to take in and to understand god so we don't even begin to understand how you were able to do that but we just live in the benefits of it so we're just grateful and god i pray that that we would all search our hearts and really really uh, try to come to grips with how submissive are we to you i mean maybe we say we believe in you maybe we say we want to go to heaven and we want to be forgiven But do we want you to be Lord of our life? Do we want to surrender control of our decisions, of our plans, and say like Jesus did, not my will, but yours be done? How tightly are we hanging on to and clutching the way we want to do things? And how open are we to you? Help us to really wrestle with that, God. So that we can enter into marriage with a healthy perspective that makes your call to serve and to love and submit easy. Because we first just wrestled with the big topic of of surrendering our life to you. Thank you so much for your example for us, God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand and close in worship this morning.